All right, we are back finally with a new episode of the Clinch Perfect Podcast, episode 30, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's been a while. Tom, where the, where the fuck have, uh, have you been? Where have we been? Do you know, I can't even remember the last time we did one. I think when it was it, before it be- I went away for like the entirety of November. And then we were like, oh, it's December, it's Christmas. So we did fuck all that month as well. Yeah, I blame the copious amounts of alcohol and us both just being incredibly busy in the run up to Christmas, really. And that's not to say that we haven't been... To be honest, we kind of have been doing podcasts because we've, we've just been spamming each other with loads of messages throughout the entirety of December, complaining or Crying, celebrating basically. fights. basically. And then to complaining do about... Fights. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I even had to watch Rising on Christmas, on New Year's Day. <laughs> I refused <laughs> you know, to do that. Low. There's no chance I was doing that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was away like all of November. Um, I went to Rome and I went to the States. You, went and, to, you um, didn't tell me you went to Rome. Why did you go to Rome? I think I did. I just fucking felt like it. It's just a cool place, isn't it? Who did you go with? Uh, just a mate from uh, from uni. He's uh, He did history at uni, so I knew he'd be you know right, right up for that shit. And uh, yeah, we just went around all like the Vatican and the Colosseum and stuff. Colosseum was so cool. Like one of my did favorite holiday like things I've done. I felt like a Roman. I felt like I could, I could beat the shit out of, out of anyone at any moment. Um, and then as soon as I left, the Coliseum, like Maximus. yeah, as soon as I left the Coliseum, I remembered I'm, I'm me, and that's not the case. <laughs> I'll leave the fighting for the professionals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were there literally the week after um, Gaethje and Chandler, and and Gaethje had said after the fight, like, oh, we should have been doing this in the Coliseum. We were born in the wrong era. And then when I stood on on the Coliseum floor, I was like. I'm fucking Justin Gaethje. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, yeah, yeah, so... I, my, my year wasn't quite so... Or my, my end of the year was not quite as elaborate as I thought it would be. I thought I would be in Florida. And then Tommy Fury decided to, you know, get punched by a bare-knuckle boxer and pull out his fight with Jake Paul. So that scuffed those plans. Um, I, had a pretty, I had a pretty chill Christmas, actually. It was just like, you know family usual stuff New i don't understand why why tommy didn't uh you know just work harder to get healthy i mean we all have the same 24 hours in the day so <laughs> <laughs> for some of you who may not know ben is of course referring to um some less than satisfactory comments that uh tommy's girlfriend molly may may have recently said on a i like the idea that we've just podcast. put to the the small American audience that we have onto the uh, onto Molly May, and we, then now we've got to keep our two <laughs> listeners happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we've probably got one in Britain, one in America, and the American right now is like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Yeah, I really had, I nearly had an even wilder Christmas. Then I nearly um, ended up going on a very short notice trip worth like two hundred grand to South Africa and Botswana. So that would have been really wild. Please explain. So my friend works for basically a fancy travel company that organize holidays for um disgustingly rich people people. yeah (laughs) and there was a family i think of five who had a a holiday worth like 190 grand booked to south africa and botswana and this was the week before christmas i think christmas was the saturday and on the tuesday that week my friend messaged me and was like hey do you want to go to south africa and botswana on thursday so we literally had two days to get it all sorted i was like what what the hell are you talking about and I wouldn't have done it if it was just a normal trip or I wouldn't have tried to do it. It ended up not happening. But because it was like, you know, like I said, it was all these mad activities that this family had dropped out, but all the activities were paid for already. So there was like helicopter rides, abseiling, like shark cage diving um, in Botswana. That was all in South Africa. And then in Botswana, there was like these mad safaris where you'd go out for like three days at a time and sleep in like these luxury tents. And um, 
yeah, like it would have been all paid for. All I would have had to pay for was the flights, but it was just in the space of, I don't know, like 36 hours. It wasn't enough, uh, wasn't enough time to get everything sorted. But I was looking into like getting, you know, getting malaria tablets, getting like typhoid shots and all that shit, hep B and everything to make sure that like it was, it was so close to actually me spending my Christmas on safari in Botswana, but um, it just fell through. There was, it was too much to get done, too many hurdles to clear in such a short time. I cannot believe you turned down the opportunity of a lifetime, mate. That sounds. I did not turn it phenomenal. down. We were trying to get it to happen. It just um, basically the the final straw. Like we were kind of like realizing that oh, shit, this this is going to be difficult to get done at such short notice as we were trying to get everything done. And then the final straw was that one of the suppliers of the like the the safaris, like I said, they're like overnight safaris, so they cost a lot of money. Um, basically said yeah you can have the spot but you're gonna have to pay full price as well yourself even though it's already paid for fucking greedy wankers so um we would have had to pay like five grand each and neither of us wanted to do that yeah i can understand the logic there i can understand the logic there well i mean at least the new year started which means you know the fights are back and the ufc's but i tell you i've actually missed it you know i've even i've even missed dc i've even <laughs> missed daniel cormier i've i've just it literally got to the point where I was just watching, you know, when the like BT Sport put out all those like fight of the year contenders and yeah. highlight real knockout packages and things. Oh, they really like just top watching 30 them knockouts or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I, think yeah, I, I watched like, that video like three times as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually finally good last weekend when, you know, we actually got some, we got some, because the boxing, boxing was terrible, but the, the UFC was, I'll be, I'll be honest, I'll be completely honest, most of the cards sucked. Yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a stinky one. But the main event was completely worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually gained I, a lot of respect for Giga Chikadze as well, even though I've been calling him a fraud for like the last year, saying, you know, <laughs> as soon as he fights someone that, in the elite bracket, he's going to lose. And even though I want to be smug right now and say I was proven right, the guy's a tough bastard. I thought he was going to, you know, going to be out of there within a few rounds of that beatdown, but he hung in there and kept swinging. Have you seen that photo at the end? Uh, the, I think he put it on. It might the UFC might have even shared it themselves. Like, oh, the one he put of, like, of them both. They're like at the hospital. Yeah, like, he's got like black eyes, cuts everywhere. But they're not just like you know, bit and wear and tear. It's proper like gashes, and I think I think he required a ridiculous amount of stitches and everything. But, but yeah, some well, of the ones over his eye actually. I thought he had a couple over his right eye. I was kind yes. of surprised weren't looked at by a doctor during the fight and maybe the fight stopped because the, like there were deep cuts right over his eye like underneath his brow Calvin Kirk's elbows I mean he couldn't miss could he insane but I think that was I, I'm not criticising Chikadze here but it, it kind of it felt like Kato was setting the traps and Chikadze just kept on falling into them like, yeah I mean he, he walked he, onto four or five spinning elbows clean to the face yeah uh, I mean to be fair to him like any I feel like most most featherweights would have probably, you know, been dropped. But he, he, I mean, he, he was still standing for the most part until the, the end of the final round. But yeah, like for instance, we, we've seen what Casey did to Jeremy Stevens, right? Like, yeah, was exact same. But those elbows again. Um, but I was just well, I'll be honest. I thought Jacadzi was going to completely piece him up on the feet, and dare I say it, but. Cater seems to have taken a leaf out of Max Holloway's book because he basically did to Chikadze what Max did to him, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, I mean, it's just that that age age old adage of just um, crowding the kicker, keeping him on the back foot. You can't kick if you're backing up. 
and uh, done to perfection. What do we think is next for uh, for Calvin? Because I saw some people saying Yaya Rodriguez. Um, I don't know what his a... condition is after that ridiculous war with Max. I saw some people saying Ortega. Um, that's what, what I want to go with. I think Ortega. I think that's a banger of a fight. I think. I mean, I know Ortega's obviously coming off that incredible fight with Volkanovski, and I don't know how long he's out for, but I'm pretty sure he's not back until like March time, maybe longer. I think he's got six months. Um, that for me is the fight because I mean, I was thinking Arnold Allen, but then it's kind of a bit like probably a bit too high in the rankings for Arnold. I think Arnold. Yeah, I think it's a bit a bit of a jump, for Allen. Um, maybe if he gets so, a big win at UFC London. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if he's even on the card, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one because, like, when, if you think about it in retrospect, by the way, it's so stacked. But <laughs> at the same time, like most of the matchups already, but like obviously Zombies booked against Volkanovski, Holloway's injured. See, so and you wouldn't put Max get in again with him. So I feel it's like starting to feel kind of- a little bit to me like like Usman at welterweight in terms of. The guy is in that sort of, you know, one rank to six or seven are like really, really, really good. But the champion's just that level above, you know, all of them. And, and a bit like Adesanya at middleweight as well, where it's like, yeah, they're all really good. But it's almost like he's kind of, I wouldn't say lapping the field because he's not for some of these contenders. But, you know, he's beat Max twice and Max is clearly better than all the others as well. So it's like, it kind of feels like there's such a weird little... There's like Volk, and then just below that there's Max, and then there's a huge gap down to down to any of the contenders at the moment. Yeah, they're kind of waiting. You you almost you're waiting for that new star, right? Like I don't feel like they've got the. I don't feel like featherweight's got that Hamza comparing it to the welterweight division, right? I don't think they've got that. I mean, maybe Taporia, but Taporia's kind of he hasn't had that name yet. I mean, I know he fought Ryan Hall last time, but Ryan Hall's not a, a top ten or a top five featherweight. Yeah, Tapori needs to smoke of... Jordan this weekend and then have another name after that, and then maybe you can put him in the conversation. I mean, without something crazy, like say for the argument, Tapori goes out there, blows out Jordan. Again, a bit of a leap, but like Tapori versus Katie, for instance. I mean, that'd be an amazing fight. That'd but, be crazy. Uh, again, it feels a bit. It, it, I don't want to hold Tapori back either. And obviously, we'll talk more about him later. But again, that feels a bit too much of a step. So I feel like Katie's kind of in this limbo where. Fighting someone below him kind of doesn't really make much sense, but the ones who are ahead of him, he's either lost to or are booked in a fight. So for me, it's Ortega. I think that I think Calvin Gator versus Brian Ortega is a main event for any fight night. Yeah, that'd be crazy. That'd be, I mean, the amount of blood leaking from Ortega's scar tissue would be insane. How that guy remains so handsome given some of the wars he's been in, I do not know. It's a, it's a work of art, that a work of magic. Um, there wasn't much, like you what said, there wasn't cool? much else sort of notable on the card, but uh, Brandon Royval back in the win column, that was good to see. And I'm pretty sure Bontarine tapped in, a, in an armbar in the third round as well. I'm not really I sure thought I saw that as well. what was going on there. Um, Brendan Fitzgerald said when they watched the replay, oh no, he didn't tap. But even on the replay, I thought he did tap. Like it was only like once or twice, but it was like the armbar was locked in and it went boom, boom. And like, there was a quick tap and somehow the ref just missed it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was, I thought he tapped. It was a bit of a weird, it was a weird decision, wasn't it? Like, it just yeah, I actually maybe would have given the nod to Bontarin, even though, like I said, I I thought he tapped and should have lost. But um, I guess you could kind of say some weird form of justice. Royval kind of, I, I, maybe it's a bad comparison, but like he's like a cross between Moreno and Tony Ferguson. 
like the way he fights. It's it's kind of I don't with, think he's, I don't think with like a million feints added in. Yeah, I don't think, but I don't think his fundamentals are there. I don't think he's got really good. Very, I don't think he's very good. Like, I don't think he's a very good mixed martial artist, but he kind of makes it all work. Does that make sense? Mm, I'm not sure that it does, but it it also kind of does at the same time. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's how Roy Val fights. It makes you confused and also like, oh damn, this guy's pretty fun. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a fun watch, hundred percent. It's yeah, just... it good to see him back in the win column, to be honest, because he's one of those guys that you tune in. You know, when you see it, when you whoever he's up against, when you see his name on a card, you're like, oh, that's a banger. So, um, yeah, that if he if he lost three in a in a row, you'd start to worry that like he was going to kind of fall off. So, yeah, I'm happy he won. Yeah, and especially because we have fun flyweight is as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like for instance, Roy Val versus um, Mal Cap, for instance, that would be an amazing fight. I'd I I would love to see that. Again, it's a big jump for Cap, but like, you know. I feel like that, honestly, as, even though I, I, you know, Roy Val is deservedly ahead of Cap in the rankings and I've criticised Cap in the past, I feel like that's kind of a perfect matchup for him in terms of he's a bit of a sniper and Roy Val, like I said, faints in and out wildly like an absolute lunatic. If he gets caught a couple of times, then uh, it could be night-night because Cap has a lot of power at that weight class. Yeah, you know, it's crazy, isn't it? If you think about it, last year we, were, I'm pretty sure in our predictions, I said something like, "I think flyweight's going to get cut, or they're going to get rid of the flyweight division." And uh, and now, you know, you've got Moreno Figueiredo trilogy coming up this weekend. You got Kaikara France doing fun things. You got Cody Garbrandt floating around. Like it's, it's a really fun division, but one that I'll be honest isn't really a big draw. Yeah, yeah, it's gone mad. Um, and maybe a Roy Val Kai Kara France rematch could be uh, could be in the works at some point because obviously Roy Val won that. But you kind of say that Kai Kara France is now, you know, above him in terms of where they're at after you know from their respective recent wins, so um, or recent performances. So yeah, it's a bit of a wild one. Um, only other Anything really sort of notable thing there was uh, Vyashlav Borshev. I hope I said that close to right. Slava Claus. Should we just call him Slava Claus? Slava Claus, yeah, fantastic. I have to give the nickname. I'm sorry, Sam, I'm the Jedi, but Slava Claus is now my favorite nickname in the UFC. I think it's absolutely hilarious. I think the the winner of best nickname still goes to um, what's his name, Fabio Charant, who even though he's not a very good fighter, his nickname is the Water Buffalo, which I just love. That, that also is true, although I don't know if he still fights in the UFC, does he? Uh, maybe not. He lost to. I mean, he got. Von Flute choke by Alonzo Menafield. That's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Borshev. Who <laughs> uh, I can't I can't I can't remember which fight promotion he fought for before he joined the FC. But I remember watching his previous fight in the regionals and thinking this guy's a bit special. Not just because of his dancing and celebrations, but like it, for an alpha male fighter, it's Striking is really, really crisp. He was in uh, Titan uh, FC in LFA, by the way. I think it was the Titan fight that I watched. The last one, the one, the one, yeah. he, literally the one, yeah. Titan FC. I remember watching that. I, I remember thinking, like, where does this guy train? Looked it up. Alpha male, predominantly wrestlers. I mean, I know you've got Cody, but let's be honest, his striking isn't great. Obviously, wrestle heavy, grappling heavy, but it's his striking for me that stands out. I thought he looked phenomenal. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I they were talking about how his uh, his grappling was tested 
and uh, and he came out, you know, proving that he that he had, you know, that he's got that side of his game developed. I'm not totally convinced on that because Dakota Bush wasn't exactly, um, you know, they weren't exactly perfect shots. But um, I don't think he got him down once, and then it was it was pretty easy for for Borshev to get up. So still a little bit unconvinced, um, as I always am when kickboxers come in with limited experience of how well he'll actually hold up against a decent grappler. But um, yeah, I mean, anytime you get a body shot finish, you're uh, you're excited, aren't you? Because like it's just just brilliant just watching <laughs> watching a, a grown man keel over to a liver shot. Fantastic, absolutely. But it sounds crazy, but like that could be a contender for like finish of the year. Like it, it was so satisfying. <laughs> it actually reminded me of um, Topuria's on um, on Damon Jackson. Remember that one? It was a little left, oh, yeah. left hook Beautiful. to the liver as well. Very, very similar. It's like a, it's a proper Canelo punch. Yeah, yeah, it really is. What have we got? Oh, of course. How could I forget? We've got some news, haven't we? Well, we were just Before talking we about the welterweight division, and I feel like we've been away for what, like two months. So we've missed so much news. I had to filter <laughs> it down and pick a few things for us to talk about. So there's been two pretty big bits of news in the welterweight division. That is obviously Colby versus Masvidal booked for for March for the big pay per view then, and um, and also Dana saying that Leon is definitely next for Kamar Usman. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I just, I think that's like I, I think. Chael Sonnen came out and said to me like it's it's a career-ending fight for Masvidal. And I I do tend to agree because I think unless he lands a hail mary, I just don't think he'll be able to keep Covington off him for five rounds. Yeah, like, and I don't think Colby, as much as he puts on a show, I don't think his ego will make him reckless and get engaged in the type of fight that Masvidal wants. I know that that quite often happens when you have. Um, fighters with a bit of beef, whether people believe the beef is real or not. Um, but I can easily see Colby just doing whatever the easiest route to victory is and just pinning him down for 25 minutes, beating the fuck out of him with that volume. And, um, and yeah, we, we know Colby's not going to gas. So, yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree. Like, it's kind of hard to see Masvidal winning that. But um, it'd be great if he did. It'd be great to see Colby sparked out on the, on the can canvas. You not imagine, can you imagine if he lands a flying knee? <laughs> I I think the stadium would just erupt. I also think I, I, someone I I think it was some reports was suggesting that the BMF title should be on the line, but I disagree because for me the BMF is going to be like you know for like a superstar. It's got to be like a superstar fight, like a, a WWE matchup or something. It can't be for. I don't think Colby's like got necessarily the, the pulling power for it. But I'll tell you what, that entire fight week embedded is just going to be. Absolute flames. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. What else are we... Oh, yeah, Leon. Yeah, Leon finally getting... I mean, it's, it's what? It's taking him... Let me think. When, when did he last fight? September? Um, God, no, it was long ago, longer ago than that. Last fight was Nate, wasn't it? Yeah, Sometime. I can't remember when the Nate fight was. Was it August? I have no. no idea. Well, put it this way. It's been well over six months since Leon last fought. I think it's a... About time you got the rematch, and I, I really hope that they do it. Like I think they're going to do it around May, June. It was June last season. year, mate, that you fought Nate Diaz. Your your uh, perception of time is all over the place. That's what COVID does to you. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I think yeah, I think I think from what I've heard, they're going to do it around International Fight Week because I think Usman wants a bit of a break. 
Yeah, makes sense. I'm a bit. I mean, obviously you're back the Brit, but again, I'm a bit like you know, Usman's so dominant. He beat him quite handedly in the first fight, but then Leon's been on a ridiculous tear, and he's worked his socks off to like you know improve himself in all facets. Yeah, I feel like if there's anyone that's well rounded enough to beat Usman, because that's what you need is to be well rounded. It, it is Leon. Like um, Colby came close because Colby's striking has improved drastically as well, but. Um, you know, Gilbert Burns, excellent grappler, striking, not quite on the same level as Usman. Masvidal, opposite. So it's like, there's there's not really many that have that well-rounded skill set um, other than Colby and Leon. So we've already seen Colby try twice. Um, might as well give Leon a shot. And uh, and yeah, like you say, we'll, uh, of course, back the Brit on this pod because we are extremely biased. And also, speaking of ATT, our American top team, I mean, I can't, I actually can't believe this. I can't believe Amanda Nunes is leaving ATT to start her own team. I just think it's lunacy. Yeah, Sheer and utter lunacy. One of those bits of news you read where you're like, just in, just instantly like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, why would you leave the place you've had so much success because of one loss? Like, did you think you were just going to never lose again forever? Yeah, like, dare I say, it, it seems very Rousey-esque. It seems like something that Rousey would do. It seems immature, is what it seems like. Yeah, exactly. Grip. I, I just. Why do you think you're like, you're gonna build a super team? Like, I just don't really understand. I mean, like, maybe I'm a bit hypocritical because I'm, I, am one of the ones who thinks that Anthony Joshua should leave Rob McCracken, but he's given McCracken a fair shot, as in they had the rematch with Ruiz, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think she, I don't think. I don't know if it's an ego thing, but I just don't really understand it myself because you've got, like, at ATT, you've got, you know, Kayla Harrison training. Like, I'm sorry, I, I think Julianne Payne is great, but, you know, she hasn't got the wrestling or the the, the striking, say, of a Kayla Harrison. So you, you lose a training partner there. Hundreds of others, like, you know, Amanda Ribas, she trains at ATT. So you're just going to set up this random gym in Florida when there's, like, hundreds of others and you're going to get a whole new coaching set up like I don't even know who she's going to get coached by if if you're going to move gyms you move to another super team right so if you don't if you don't, if it doesn't work out at ATT you go to AKA or you go to you know uh, let me think I'm trying to think of another one uh, Syndicate or someone like that you, you, I just it does it, for me it does seem like a bit of an ego move and maybe it's a business strategy yeah maybe I mean that's what it think. feels like to me is like she's looking for something to blame for the loss and oh, it, it must be my coaching. So I'll leave and, and, you know, do my own coaching kind of thing, basically. Um, maybe that's not what it is. Like you say, maybe it's a business thing. Maybe it's uh, her sort of route into uh, eventual retirement and success after that. Obviously the, the fight game doesn't pay you forever. So you need to be set up after that. So if it's, if it's that fair enough, if it's the first reason, then uh, yeah, I just think it's incredibly immature. Yeah, I don't think it's a move that will work that will work out. I mean, I know she's like the MMA Masters, right? So she wasn't an ATT to start off with. She went. She she actually started off at MMA Masters in Florida. Yeah, but it does seem a bit arrogant. Is probably the best way of describing it because I just think that you know she's got Mike Brown in her corner, who's one of the best coaches, best UFC coach, best MMA coaches in the game, striking coaches. I just and for someone like Pena as well, like. I mean, with all due respect to Pena, she basically, you know, 
took advantage of maybe Nunes taking her eye off the ball. In that first round, Nunes was completely wailing on that. I feel like that's a fact that gets completely overlooked. Yeah. I think, it, 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 for me, it just seems to be more of a cardio issue and maybe a, an arrogance and thinking, oh, my chin's going to hold up and I'm not going to, you know, what's this feeble woman going to do to me kind of thing. I just, I think she kind of believed her own hype a bit too much. I think, I think she's, as you say, she's looking for a reason to blame and who's going to be at fault? The coaches. Yeah, I agree. Um, right, shall we move on to the uh, to the big thing this weekend, UFC 270, before we uh, we shoot off and try and get try and get some rest because you are uh, a busy, busy man, mate. Do you want to want to tell the tell the people what you're up to next week? I am. Oh, Karate Combat kindly fly me out to uh, to cover their event, um, mixing it with the likes of Machida and and Georges Saint Pierre and Bass Rutten. I'm very, very excited, but. I, yeah, it's kind of really surreal because I, I mentioned this to Ben like months ago and didn't really think much about it. And I randomly got an email the other day being like, oh yeah, by the way, here are your plane tickets. So I'm going to book a PCR <laughs> test and everything. It's kind of come out of the blue. But no, it should be great fun. I can't wait to tell you all about the experiences and try not to rub it in at the same time. <laughs> I'm sure you will, mate. I'm sure you will. I'm already a little bit bitter about it. But once you start texting me like, selfies with gsp then uh, that'll send me over the edge um, <laughs> but before you before you do that we've got ufc 270 this weekend um should we run run through some of the prelims first and then, and then get onto the main card uh k hansen yeah, opening one? up the uh the prelims I'm, I'm not sure if i have the order correct here but um i just took them off the ufc website so hopefully they're somewhat correct they may have moved some of them but um hansen obviously was was quite an exciting prospect when she came in um very good grappler but then she lost to Corey mckenna and um I feel like they're kind of setting her up with a gimme here against uh, against Jasmine because I saw her contender series fight and was really not particularly impressed against a very low level fighter. Yeah, it does seem a bit of a right need to rebuild kind of thing because you know I think Hanson did did Hanson fight Corey last time? I can't remember. Yeah, that, is, was that, that, was last a, fight? that was her last fight. A long time. so she's been off like it's been a while. She's you know been in the lab so to speak, um, and I see her posting on social media all the time about like how much she's improving on her like strength and conditioning. So um, I think she's, she's taking a big break and is, is probably going to come back and dominate here. And I, I do feel like the UFC tries to push her a little bit. Um, I don't know if you remember when they changed over to Venom. Um, she was on a lot of the promos for all their Venom stuff, despite the fact that she hadn't fought in ages and her last fight was a loss. Yeah, you're right. I think, I think they kind of, again, we mentioned, I mentioned Rousey earlier. I think they're kind of drawing on that. Like, you know, she's got a strong wrestling background. Um, she is a very popular fighter like you know she, a lot of her like painting stuff goes viral quite frequently um, and, and she's I got a she's Statue got a of Liberty character. or some American propaganda shit tattooed on her arm so the Americans will lap that up patriotism yeah <laughs> everyone loves yeah, a good bit no, of patriotism I'll tell you it is a good, I think it's a good way to open it up though because you know after that, you've got what Frivola and that. I'll be honest, I know next to nothing about Valdez. Well, I think he's, I think he trains with Moreno. I think he's one of Moreno's training partners. All I know um, on Valdez is, is what I saw in Contender Series, and what I saw in Contender Series was a, a five minute sprinter. Um, he came out like an absolute lunatic in his Contender Series fight, absolutely beat the crap out of, um, oh, what was his name, Patrick White, I think it was, um, for five minutes. And then, well, actually, not even five minutes. I was going to say five minutes, but like even three, four minutes into the first round, all of a sudden he hadn't got him out of there and he nearly died of exhaustion. So 
against Favola, a guy who was, you know, other than against Terence McKinney, um, very durable and has very good cardio. Uh, I feel like this is kind of first round or bust for Valdez. I think we're going to get quite a lot of that this, uh, this card as well, especially looking at some of the, the later fights. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that's basically the main is, event, first round or bust for, for one of the fighters. Favola is a weird one, isn't he? Because well, I was quite hard on him. And then for whatever reason, he's just kind of, his, I think his last, is he, has he lost two or three? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the, the fighters he's lost to, he's lost two in a row, but one was the knockout from Terence McKinney, who's an absolute monster, and one was a decision against Sarukian. So, like, it's kind of hard to be too down on him when those are his, his losses. Before that, he beat Lewis Pena and Jalen Turner and had a draw with Lando Venata, who's a tough fight for anyone. Um, yeah, I mean, the, it, the win over Turner's aged well, hasn't it? So Yeah, and for a guy kind of, you know, early on in his, his UFC career, he's fought some really high-level guys. Well, yeah, really right, on, he's had like six UFC fights, but you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe I'm right or I'm wrong to, to write him off so easily, but it just seems like I mean, I, I personally think we're gonna get a knockout in that fight. I'm, I'm yeah, leaning towards, I agree. I'm, I'm actually leaning towards Valdez, weirdly. I think um, if Valdez doesn't get him out of there in the first round, based just based on what I saw in contender series, maybe that was an off night for him, but um, his gas tank was was in like one of the worst I've ever seen. Like he blew his load in the first three, four minutes and then nearly died of cardiac arrest. Um, so yeah, if, if it's going to be an early stoppage, I agree. It'll probably be Valdez. If it goes out in the first round, unless he's much more conservative this time, then, uh, then he'll probably get finished himself. I'd imagine. And then I'll be honest, this next fight, I think is probably the worst one on the card. Vanessa Demopoulos and uh, Gomez Juarez. Yeah. I think Gomez yeah. Juarez will win this, to be honest. She's much more technical, much more skilled. Um, unless she just gets bullied, then uh, then I think she'll win this. Who did she lose to? She, um, Lupe Godinez. Ah, uh, yes, you're right. Yeah, and that was quite a, a domination, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I must admit, the other one. I, I think she's coming up contender, right? Uh, I think she had a fight against JJ Aldridge and lost, but before that was on contender. Are you talking about Demopolis, yeah? Yeah, Demopolis, yeah. Uh, oh no, she came straight from LFA. And uh, and yeah, lost her debut to JJ Aldridge, so kind of a little bit of a make or break spot for for Demopolis, I'd say. Um, you know, losing two in a row is not the end of the world, but losing two in a row to start your UFC career, not great. And six and four, not exactly a record worth keeping. Yeah, you're right. And then where we go? Oh no, I'll tell you what. This fight, I'm I'm not even joking. I've been watching tape of Mark Morales like a week. He is a fun fighter. Is he the guy and- that just it's contender series fight? He just like hip tossed the guy for 15 minutes, just threw him all over yeah. the place. Was that him? Yeah. Yeah, right, darling. He is fun. Um, from well, he, they, uh, topology says he's from Mexico, but he's actually from Ecuador. Um, and he, he's another training partner of Moreno. And um, yeah, he literally just ragged old Fretnikov for three rounds on contender series. Um, and Trevor Giles again is a weird prospect. I, can we even count him as a prospect? Is he a prospect? I, I he's been around a long prospect. time, to be fair. He's one of them that you don't realise how long he's been around. He's only 29, but I mean, I'm just looking here. He's had one, two, three, four, five, eight UFC fights. Um, he's five and three. And before that knockout to uh, to Duplessis, he was actually on a nice little streak. He beat Roman Delize, he beat Bevan Lewis, and he beat James Krause. So, um, yeah, he, like he was, he was starting to put it together. And then, you know, you come across Duplessis and you, you just get smoked. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think that's kind of 
<laughs> inevitable, really. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'd probably side with Giles, to be honest, for the experience. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also think that I also think if your team, like, I always find like if your if your teammate is a champion, right, and you're making your debut on the same card, it's probably a little bit daunting. Like if you look at someone like an Ulberg, right, when he he debuted on um, when Izzy stepped up to fight yeah. uh, Blachowicz, I reckon that was playing on his mind. Like you know, you got to make a good impression. I, I, and as much as I'm high on morale, as I, I agree with you, I think Giles' experiences will, you know, it's a hell of a debut out. fight, isn't it? A guy who's had eight fights in the UFC and and pretty good fights against pretty good level opponents as well. Yeah, as you say, beating some really high-level opposition like James Krause, solid veteran, Roman Delite, everyone was ridiculously high on him until he lost. Like, it is a bit of a weird... I don't know if it was a lot... Was that a last-minute thing? Because I, I could have sworn Giles was meant to be fighting someone else. Honestly, not sure. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a tough debut. If, if Morales wins it, like, hell of a you know big jump start for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, getting that name, great way to make your, your UFC debut. What have we got next? What's next on the fuck? What's next? I think it's your boy, uh, Jack Della Madalena. Is that how you say his name? Or is it like Madiena? Yeah, yeah. Jack yeah. Della Madalena. Yeah, Jack Della Madalena. Oh, oh, so no, it looks missed... fancy, but you just say it exactly how it sounds. Yeah, Jack Della Madalena. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, this guy, um, we've missed Gravely. Oh, that's right. I'm not really bothered about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gravely's one of those guys that couldn't get absolutely smoked or um, or just grind his opponent down. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't and, really care about that fight, to be honest. Simon Oliveira didn't look impressive on Contender Series. Well, uh, we'll just talk about Jack. I'll tell you who did look impressive on Contender Series. <laughs> Jack Dallivan later. Oh, my God. This what a guy transition. Has... What a transition. We're professionals. He, he is... He's like an Aussie Diaz. Like his his cardio is fantastic. His striking is a bit um, raw, but he's got plenty of heart, plenty of courage, and he doesn't stop throwing. And he is like, he's an absolute savage. If you like, I think ninety nine percent of well, not, I can't do the maths, but every single one of his fights, bar the last one, he's finished all of his opponents. And like to go from losing, dropping your first two fights as a professional. And he's now 10 fights unbeaten since is just remarkable. And that's not to say like Pete Rodriguez is someone to overlook. Like Jack said himself when I spoke to him today, Pete Rodriguez is a dangerous guy. 4 0, four finishes, all in the first round. Like, you know, he packs power, clearly is a, a mini Mike Tyson esque kind of figure. But I think Jack's experience will just show. And I, I, I think Jack's going to make a bit of a statement here. I think, I think he's the only Aussie fighting on the card. But there's a healthy Aussie contingent who are going to be watching him in the arena. Casey's going to be there. Uh, his dad's flown over with his partner. Um, I think his girlfriend's actually joined him as well. So it's there's going to be a, a, a vocal Aussie minority. And I tell you what, I don't know if you've seen any of like the UFC footage, but they have been blowing the smoke up his backside. Oh my <laughs> god! Like that, they've been filming a documentary all week. He's got he picked the you know picked the shorts. Tim Simpson, his manager from Paradigm, he's been floating around like. The UFC are very, very high on Jack Della Madalena. And for someone who's been watching him since he was fighting on Eternal and becoming Eternal Worldweight Champion, I think I think we've got an exciting prospect on our hands. 
Yeah, and then after that, we have uh, another very exciting prospect, Ilya Tuporia, um, 11-0, fighting uh, Charles Jordan. And you know I'm a big fan of Jordan as well. I mean, anyone that steps in on, what is it, like two weeks, even less, like a week and a half yeah, notice 11, to fight Ilya 11, Tuporia, 11 days notice. <laughs> um, is an absolute savage. And we saw in his last fight against Andre Ewell that Jordan is a savage. Um, however, I feel like his reckless and extremely entertaining style is, uh, is going to get him... Probably front choked, but definitely put to sleep here. Can I give you a prediction? Go for it. I think, I think Ilya knocks him out with a body shot. I think he'll stop him. I think, I think he'll, I think he'll do a left hook to the liver, and Jordan will just crumple. Add that. Take a leaf out I, of uh, Bierschlev's Borshev's book. Yeah, I just, I don't know what it is. I just think. That's not. I don't, I don't know. If, has Jordan been stopped? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think his last loss was a um, like a Bravo choke or something like that from uh, from Julian Arosa. So that's why I'm a. I'd be a little bit worried about his sort of reckless style going against a guy like Tapuria who just snatches necks for fun. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of Tapuria though. Like the fact he can literally finish it wherever. He's just such an exciting prospect. Well, I don't think I don't even think he's a prospect anymore. I think he's a. Uh, I think he's a a bona fide contender, or he will be. He certainly will be after this fight. I, I think this could be the year of Elias Poria, and I think he pretty much said that on on the MMA Hour this week. And I hope actually, so, because well, then I can act very smug about the fact that I've been saying the year of Elias Poria is coming for like two years now. Well, I found really interesting. Actually, yeah, I was speaking to him about this today. He really is tempted by lightweight. I'm not about. Like I'm intrigued. I'm really. I would love to see. Like imagine Tapuria versus Sarukian. Oh my god, that'd, that'd be, be crazy. So much fun. That'd be crazy. Because he's he's not a, he's not a big like tall guy, but he is stocky. He's thick. So um, yeah, man is ripped. I don't think it'd be a difficult transition for him to lightweight. To be honest, no, I'd be. I I think it, I think he's certainly got the potential. I mean, uh, Veronica Machado, she's so high on him, uh, and it's easy to see why because. He's, uh, he's got a really funny character. Like, he doesn't really, because unfortunately, because of the language barrier, sometimes it kind of hinders him. But he's a really, really funny guy. Like, I was watching that Ariel interview, and I was just in stitches. Like, it's like, <laughs> he, he can, you can tell he's picked up a few like tropes and things from, from Masvidal. But it is, yeah, I'm very, I, I'm in the same boat, mate. You are driving the train, and I'm in the first carriage. <laughs> <laughs> Elio Tapuria hype train. Is uh, it's very nearly full. It's very nearly full. There won't be room for people probably after this weekend. So you know, jump on while you got the chance. Um, after that, we have. Oh, before we move on, I think so. We're we're both agreed that's that's going to be a stoppage then probably for Ilya. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going second round. Cool. Um, I'll go. I'm going front choke first round. Um, I think Jordan will kind of plan on sprinting out the traps, knowing that it's short notice, and his best chance is just to go out there and fly at him. And uh, I can see him just you know, falling into something, basically. Uh, after that, we have Rowney Barcelos against Victor Henry. <clears throat> Obviously, Barcelos is one of those fighters who seems to have it all, and we keep waiting for him to put it together and become a superstar, and it's just not quite happened. He was on a crazy win streak and then lost to Timo Valiev in quite disappointing fashion. Um, oh, God, that was a snooze fest. But it, it, this feels like... And another, like I said about Kay Hansen, another situation where they're kind of trying to prop him up with a with a winnable fight. Um, Henry's twenty one and five, so he's no bum. 
but this is his UFC debut, I'm pretty sure. Um, and you look through his record and he's really not fought anyone um, other than Kyler Phillips way back in 2018. Um, he's not really fought anyone anywhere close to the level of, of Barcelos. Yeah, it does seem a bit of a gimme. And to, I like Barcelos. I think he's like, you know, really solid fighter. Just it's a bit of a weak opponent. He has tremendous pressure. Um, it's just, it just would be a fucking nightmare to fight. And uh, yeah, I think that one will probably be too much, too much for Henry. I think uh, that's not, you know, I'm saying the obvious there. I think Barcelos is a huge favorite. I'm not looking to the odds, but I'm pretty sure he's a huge favorite. Um, what do we have? Opening up the main card, we have Rodolfo Vieira and Wellington Terman. Um, this is one I might have a little, uh, a little dabble on the underdog here. Everyone I've seen is all over Rodolfo Vieira. And I know Terman's kind of been a disappointment. He's lost a couple of fights in hilariously shit fashion. But how can anyone bet as a favorite a fighter who gassed as badly as, as Vieira did in his last fight? I will raise you. How can you bet on someone who got knocked out by Andrew Sanchez? <laughs> and Bruno Silva immediately after that. And then no, uh, Bruno Silva one I can understand. And then, I mean, and then power, barely beat Sam Alvey in a decision. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty bold one. I'll just I'll, I'll agree. But um <laughs> I think the guys that Wellington German struggles with are good are better strikers than Vieira. And um like I said, I just maybe I maybe I won't bet on it at all, but I definitely won't be betting Vieira as a big favorite. That's all I'm saying. I there's no way I'm putting money on a huge favorite who gasses as badly as he did in his last fight. It's just not happening. So risk I do fair, not want to take. To be fair, Terman's moved out to to train with uh, Glover Teixeira and Alex Pereira. So they're not bad training partners, are they? No, not bad at all. And uh, I mean, it can't get any worse than the losses he's had already, where he was quite hyped up and everyone was saying he was going to be quite a good prospect. And then, like you say, he got smoked by Andrew Sanchez. So, um, yeah, well... Uh, I can't say that without laughing. <laughs> harsh mate harsh uh, after that we got Saeed Nurmagomedov who obviously was supposed to be fighting Jack Shaw not too long ago so that's a bit disappointing um, that he's now on this big spot on the, on the pay-per-view um, he is fighting Cody Stamen and this is another one where I feel like maybe the upset could be brewing um, Cody Stamen is just is just a tough son of a bitch and he's very well rounded and I don't think it's going to be a, an easy night at the office for, uh, for Nurmagomedov he's got a pretty solid takedown defence as well hasn't he yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's a weird one. I don't actually know why the UFC didn't just book him up with, with Jack. I, I don't really understand. Like, Stamen's a pretty decent name. Yeah, he's, like, high, he's higher quite... up there than both of them. Like, they literally the Jack Shaw felt fight fell through, and they were like, "Oh, let's just throw him in there with someone way up, way higher up." Yeah, that seems like quite. A, I mean, at least to me, it seems a bit of a mismatch on paper. Like, I mean, I know he's got the name Namagomedov, but he's certainly not anything like Habib. I haven't really been that impressed by him, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, other than the sick knockout on... Um, who was it that he did that spinning back kick on? Oh. Um, it was someone half-decent. Ricardo Ramos? That's who it was. Yeah. Ricardo Ramos. Um, other than that, which was crazy, a first-round spinning back kick. Um, yeah, I mean, he's good. He's a good prospect, but I would have favoured Jack Shaw over him. And I'm and I'm definitely favouring a guy with Cody Stamen's experience over him. Yeah, and he's he's he's, he's one and one in his last two, like lost to Barcelos. Yeah, I'm leaning, I'm le- I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards Stamen to be honest. I think, I mean, again, it's he's come Stamen trains at extreme with Francis and 
in case you know everyone. I feel like next week might just. I, th- I think next week won't get many wins, but that'll be one of them. Yep, and then after that we've got uh, Michelle Pereira against Pereira. I don't know how to say that name. It's one of those random names, random words that I just struggle with, even though it's quite simple. Um, it's fighting uh, Andre Fialho, who uh, is making his UFC debut, coming off coming away from uh, UAE Warriors, which is one of my um, favorite degenerate. Random fight, uh, random fight promotions to to watch when you're bored on YouTube. <laughs> this is a gimme, isn't it? Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, this guy has power. He's won eleven of his fourteen wins by knockout. Um, but you look at who he's fought, and they're mostly bums. Two of his three losses are by knockout. And um, I mean, just look at Michelle Pereira. The guy's a fucking unit. Uh, I thought something that was interesting actually when Jack, because Jack was obviously meant to fight Wally Hours. When Pereira's opponent fell off and, and Jack was looking for one, they actually offered to step in and the UFC said no because we don't want to pair up a prospect with Michelle Pereira. But Jack was like really keen for it. And to be fair, I would love to see that fight at some point. That'd be so much fun. Like, that, that's kind of like, I don't know the comparison, that's like Pettis versus Diaz. That's a really fun fight. I'm really, to be fair though, like, whenever Michelle Pereira fights, like, it's not the actual fight itself that entertains me. It's yeah, like all it's the just, like build up. It's just it's him like the, being him. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think he's like a necessarily great fighter. He just does you know cool cartwheels and stuff. It's like me on like some WWE game in like the early two thousands. I'm just button mashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what he does. Um, but yeah, I think we both agreed that's uh, that's a gimme. That's a gimme. Um, if he fucks that up, then uh, he's basically fucked up his chances of ever being a decent contender. And then yeah, obviously after that, distance. we have the uh, we have the title fights. Do you want to kick us off with your uh, verdict on Moreno versus Figueroa? You know, I love the Lego champion. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Figgy's obviously up sticks and moves to train with with John Jones and Harris Hudo. And in my head, I just think like obviously that's a smart move. Like you're training with two all-time greats. Like surely that's going to benefit you. But my gut is leaning Moreno. I just, I, I maybe, I just, I don't know. I feel like he's like draining himself getting down to fly. I don't think he's, an, I don't think he's a flyweight anymore. I think he's That's a, really weird because my head leans Figueredo and my gut leans Moreno or whatever the opposite the is of what you just said. Whatever the opposite <laughs> same, is of what you just said. Sorry. Um, no, I said the same. Oh, no, I meant the opposite then. I meant the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, sorry. My brain tells me Moreno. My gut says Figueredo. For some reason, I just, I don't know. There's something about Figueredo that just, he just got that X factor where you just, you know, he could just end the fight at any moment. My brain tells me Moreno's going to win because, you know, it, it's not like Figueredo's beat him in the past. They fought to a, a close draw. Yeah, I know Figueredo thinks he won that, but I, the draw was fair enough, in my opinion. And then um, he just got completely fucking dominated. And like you say, the, the drain coming down to this weight class for Figueredo is enormous. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of him recently, but he looks absolutely shredded. Whether that's a good or a bad thing in, in that respect, I don't know. But um, yeah, I'd like to say my... So I, I'm the opposite of you, is what I meant to say. <laughs> my my <laughs> brain leans Moreno because of the domination in the second fight and uh, and the cut problems that Figueredo was shown to have. And um, and my gut feels like Figueroa's just going to go out there and fucking destroy him. If this is a tasting menu, 
this is a nice appetizer for the main event, in my opinion. I think we are going to get a microcosm of what will happen with Garner and Garner. I think Figueredo will come flying out of the box in the first round and just try and take Moreno's head off. Yep. And if he doesn't, Moreno's just going to ragdoll him and probably submit him in the third. Especially a little mini mini version as a warm-up for the main event where you've got a guy who's going to, you know, relies heavily on, on you know, sprint finish and then a guy who's durable and uh, maybe may more technical. I don't know if it's quite the same because Figueredo's technical too, but um, like you say, it's durable, better gas tank and we'll probably wear him down. Do it for the Legos. Come on, Matt. To be honest, I really like, like I just, I just find it so hard to like, like has, has Figueroa made the adjustments in the right way? Like, I didn't feel like his fundamentals needed changing. I felt like it was his gas tank and his weight cut that was like the obvious one. If I had to pick, if you gun to my head, I, I would pick Figueroa just because I just feel like, like I said, he has that, that it factor, whatever it is that, he, that just, I just think he's he can beat anyone, like you know what I mean. Um, and then, but my brain tells me, well, look at what Moreno did to him last time. Figueredo is a complete unknown quantity with a new team. We don't know what his cut's going to look like, and uh, and Moreno's a much safer bet. But yeah, there you go. My official prediction is going with my gut, not my brain. My brain's stupid, so. See, I'm going the other way. I'm going. I'm going. I've confused the fuck out of both of us with this brain yeah, gut I'm going Moreno. I'm going Moreno. I'm going, I'm going Moreno maybe fourth round. I could hear the cogs turning while you were trying to figure out whether that was your brain or your gut speaking. I think it's my gut. My gut's telling me Moreno fourth round. <laughs> so we're both going with our gut, but we're on the opposite sides of things. There we go. That's perfect. Um, and then main event, um, I have a feeling I know where you're going, but uh, I'm actually going to go with Francis because... I just think, how can you go against someone who can kill a man with with the touch? With you know, he's got the Midas touch or whatever. Um, and we've not really seen Gan hurt. We don't know what hurt Gan looks like. We don't know what his chin's like. We don't know what his durability's like because he's never actually been hit that hard. Like Rosenstrike never really touched him. Volkov touched him a little bit, but not with anything big. Um, if I if I was picking Gan, the the unknown factor of, of how durable or how good his chin is would worry me because we don't know the answer to that question it's a really bad analogy because obviously Derek Lewis is completely different but Derek Lewis hits a hell of a lot harder than Francis Ngannou contrary to what the UFC will have you believe and although Francis has you know bigger fast switch muscles and is probably much faster than Derek Lewis I think the fact that Ngannou made Derek Lewis look very amateur and all right Ngannou you know wasn't training at Extreme Couture was a training at MMA Factory and struggled I just I, I just I I think Garn has way more ways to win than Ngannou yeah I, I agree with that I definitely agree with that but um, I just can't bring myself to pick against a man who looks like Francis Ngannou, <laughs> as casual as that, <laughs> as casual as that analysis is. I mean, just look at the fucking bloke. Um, yeah, like like you say, Gan is more technical. He's he's better at range, which they're in a bigger octagon than I think. If this was at the apex, that would be a big, um, big help for Francis. Obviously, they're in the, the bigger octagon in in Houston, isn't it? Um, oh no, it's in yeah. Anaheim. Sorry, um, Anaheim, yeah, California. So yeah, they're in a bigger octagon. That's going to help Garn. Obviously, we know he's much more technical. If he wants to, maybe he could take it down and grapple with him. Um, we know he's got the advantage there as well. So 
yeah, he definitely got more ways to win, but I'm just <laughs> I just go with Francis because think, it's fucking Francis. I disagree. I think what he'll do is he'll keep it at kickboxing range and just chop that lead leg. And when Francis is effectively hamstringed and his punches aren't maybe you know as powerful because he can't set them up properly. I think then Garn will start piecing him up and probably the second the end the end of the second, early start of the third. And I I, I just I look at that first Stipe fight and the way Stipe beat him, it was so dominant. And I feel like the reason maybe this is controversial, but I feel like the reason Stipe lost the rematch with Francis is because that Stipe was touching 40 was very old I've just done like th- what three wars with Daniel Cormier and you know maybe his heart wasn't quite in it or whatever we just didn't have the gas tank anymore to evade but I would argue that Garn's striking is just as good as if not maybe better than Stipe's and prime Stipe made Ngannou look amateurish and alright again he wasn't training extreme but I was looking. I was looking. I was actually studying the tape between you know, Ngannou's striking in the second fight against Stipe and Ngannou's striking in the first fight, and there's literally no difference in terms of his technique. He just maybe throws like a few more feints and jabs, but the way he actually throws his punches is exactly the same because that's just you know natural, and you can't you can't kind of really teach that. That's just the way someone does it. I think I actually think Francis's path to victory is to try and get it on the ground and try and ground pound Garn. Because I think, like, if, if I think, yeah, I mean, if Francis gets full mount on anyone, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like it doesn't I matter how good how good a grappler you are, how crafty your your jujitsu is. If, if if Francis is in full mount, you're dead. And having spoken to both men, I feel like Francis is kind of. I mean, if you look at the situation, right, he's got the the contract situation, which I'll be honest is complete utter bollocks because the whole thing is essentially his management realised that they think well, they think they can he can make more money boxing Tyson Fury, which will never happen. Because, I mean, you only have to look at what happened when McGregor fought Mayweather. Like, it has. Yeah, I don't think Francis Ngannou has the star power to leave the UFC and become a successful boxer. Basically, I don't know if the fan base crosses over in that way as it does with McGregor. So I don't think the appeal is there as much as it would be if, for instance, he beats Garn, right? And I think yeah. Francis has been. Is, it was almost obsessed with this contract thing, and you know, but he's spoken so much about boxing. I, I worry that Francis has maybe not taken his eye off the ball because obviously it's a massive grudge match. Like you know, him and Fernand don't get along anymore. But maybe he's kind of distracted by other things outside of the cage, and I don't think Garn has that. Like Garn literally said to me, like him and Francis weren't mates. I mean, yeah, they trained together, but like they didn't message each other after training or anything or sparring or whatever. Yeah. Like they were just cordial I don't think he's got that emotional attachment to this fight and I think it could work two ways right it could work in the sense that maybe you know Francis being so pent up he'll let out all his frustrations with one massive Hail Mary yeah but an emotional fighter is not an intelligent fighter and I think to beat Gunn you have to be intelligent like because he reads the game so well that's the thing that stands out to like forget all technicalities the best thing about Gunn is his IQ like, yeah, you look at the people he's beaten, and actually, it's something that I was thinking about the other day. If you look at the people he's beaten in comparison to, to Francis, you could maybe argue that Francis potentially has the better resume, 
but then you also have to remember that he lost to he's actually like if you look at his wins right yes he's beaten Miocic but he lost to Miocic so that kind of cancels that out he lost to Derek Lewis Garn beat Derek Lewis and made him look like a you know debutant beat Alexander Volkov I feel like I feel like maybe it's disrespectful but I feel like Francis's record is perhaps not quite as good as we think it is because everything's finished so early like, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a bit. Good. I know what you mean. It's a bit. It's like a. It's kind of a stupid point, but it's also kind of a smart point. I know what you mean. <laughs> like, it's it's deceptive. It's a deceptive like resume because he's not actually. If you're judge, if you're talking about how much experience fighters gain from being in there with high level fighters, he's not really been in there that long with any high level fighters. You know, other than Stipe and uh, and Derek Lewis, both of which he lost. Um, so yeah, like it, I know, I know what you're saying. Like it, it doesn't really make sense to say because you're like, oh well, if he wasn't knocking him out so early, <laughs> and it's like yeah, it's not exactly. really a criticism. It doesn't really make. But then it does make sense if you're talking about it from an experience point of view, where you want fighters to spend 15, 25 minutes in there with other high level fighters, and Francis rarely ever has, and when he has, he's lost. So I see what you're saying, and you definitely think if it goes out of like the first seven, eight minutes. That like the odds are going to shift like ninety percent in favor of Gan, but um I don't know I just there's something um something deep in my loins tells me that France is going to come out here with the the anger of a thousand hours of contract talks and uh, and just land a big one and like I said we don't know what Gan's chin is like because we've never really seen it tested so um I think we're going to find out. What, what do you think of the Tyson Fury talk, by the way? Because I am. Oh, I, just, so I mean, that's it. basically nonsense. I, I, I don't really, I don't really pay pay much credence to it. Daniel Dubois would beat it would beat Francis Ngannou, and he beat him in the first Any good round. heavyweight boxer would, and and that's not a knock on Francis. It's just different sports. It's like, you know, <laughs> saying I don't know a fucking American football player could move to rugby and instantly be the best player on the pitch. He couldn't, like. You know, he'd still be good because he'd still be a great athlete, but they wouldn't be the best. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Francis fighting someone like Tyson Fury. So it's just pointless. I just think it's such a weird management strategy because, you know, you're the, you're the UFC heavyweight champion. So from a, from a negotiation standpoint, you could easily bump up your, com- like your champion's clause, right? Like, say, for instance, say Viking, Francis knocks out Cyril. Maybe 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 does. Maybe, maybe Francis knocks out Cyril this weekend. That's a massive bargaining chip. Yeah. Definitely. Why would why would you want to go into boxing when you're the king of what you do? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not and it's not like the McGregor effect where he's got like thousands of fans. Francis Ngannou is only relevant because he fights in the UFC. I don't think if he fights in the PFL or he fights in Bellator or whatever, he would. I don't think he's no only it, only hardcore MMA fans would be tuning in for that. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and, and that's why I find it almost strange that that people are kind of accepting it and thinking oh yeah it'd be a good idea like anyone with a brain like look at right best example Kubrat Pulev Frank Mir I know it was like you know 90 year old Frank Mir at Triller Kubrat Pulev made Frank Mir look like a fetus like he just destroyed him (laughs) like completely like obliterated him to the point that he was punch drunk standing at the edge like the edge of the triangular ring right why does yeah. Francis Ngannou think that he would like even have a chance against someone who almost rose from the dead 
against arguably one of the hardest hitting heavyweights in boxing history. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But either way, I can't wait for, for this weekend. I think I think in 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 one way it will define the heavyweight division for the rest well for, for many years to come essentially I think this will define the next era of the heavyweight division it will either be the Francis Ngannou era or it will be the Cyril Ngannou era and I, I, what I find interesting actually is that of the two only one of them knew who Tom Aspinall was and it wasn't Francis Ngannou <laughs> I knew you'd be a little bit salty about that clip I, I was laughing at that because I saw people being like oh I can't believe that anyone listening who doesn't know Francis was asked if there's anyone he would like to fight that he would be disappointed that he'd, he'd miss out on fighting if he, if he runs out of contract and leaves after this fight. And the journalist suggested Tom Aspinall and he genuinely didn't know who he was. And I saw people saying like, oh, he's, he's roasting Aspinall. No, he wasn't. He, I don't think he was. I genuinely think he had no idea who the, who the fuck that is, um, which is kind of a little bit adorable in a way. Just, <laughs> just saying that he's just, the guy just shows up, fights and goes out. Like he doesn't even watch enough fights to know who like what, the number 10, number nine ranked heavyweight is, is Aspinall something like that, number 10. So, um, yeah, I think that was pretty hilarious. He gives me very alpha vibes. Francis Ngannou is an alpha. There we go. Had it here first. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll, uh, we'll end it on the, on the error-defining note. I think we were a little bit rusty today, but, uh, you know, first podcast back in like two months. Come on, give us a break. And, um, and we'll be back. Well, maybe not next week because you're in Budapest, but um, we'll we will back be back next week. Whenever we can. Be... Yes. We'll be back later. in less than two months. That's guaranteed. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Peace.